Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 18 I don't know, Liana said. Something just doesn't seem quite right. Emma had gone down below, saying she needed to give advance notice to the workers there to expect visitors. Why, whoever it was that was down there, needed warning before Emma brought them down, Baz had no idea, and Emma hadn't offered any explanation. She was being very coy about whatever was beneath the mill, and Baz was trying his best to pretend that didn't make him anxious. Shortly after Emma departed, Liana returned. She had an ointment rubbed over the bruise beneath her eye and given Baz some bread and cheese he was currently shoveling into his mouth. He hadn't eaten since morning and had left most of that food all over that guard's boots earlier. Now that they weren't in immediate danger, his hunger had become nearly overwhelming. Still, he paused with a bit of cheese halfway to his mouth when Liana spoke. "'What do you mean?' he asked, trying to sound casual. "'Well, for one thing, I don't like how that miller looks at you.' That's what Liana had settled on calling Emma, as she couldn't accept giving her any title that implied authority. "'Oh?' Baz said." Relaxing a bit, he'd expected Liana to go on about all the circumstances that made Emma's presence here suspicious. And how exactly is that? Liana lifted a shoulder. I'm not certain. Sort of like she knows something about you she doesn't want anyone else to know. Huh. Baz hoped Liana didn't notice the nerves in his laugh. You sound like a jilted lover or something. Liana's face immediately turned the deepest shade of crimson he'd ever seen, though he only saw it for a moment. Then Liana punched him so hard in the shoulder he nearly fell over. She was taller than him and probably didn't weigh much less than him, so being knocked over by her wasn't that embarrassing. It wasn't, really. His face was only heating because he was mad she'd knocked the cheese from his hand. Everything all right over here? Emma was walking back up to them, wearing an expression Baz couldn't quite place. Not precisely anger, concern? Nothing you need worry yourself with, Miller, Liana said. Her face was still heated, but her eyes were ice as she faced Emma. Now, tell me how you think to get us to fortune without a ferry or horses. First, we'll need to go down below. Down below? Liana's back stiffened which put Baz on alert as well. She seemed genuinely alarmed. Below, Liana said again, though this time with a heaping dose of incredulity in her tone. I'm not certain you are permitted down there, Miller. We certainly can't bring him. Liana motioned at Baz. He did his best to keep a scowl off his face. 
Liana became an entirely different person when matters implicating the conservatory were involved. In private conversation, it was easy to forget her true feelings about speakers. But when she put on her conservator's stole, she could be disaffecting as any reader. Emma did far worse than Baz at concealing her dismay, openly glaring at Liana. What? Liana demanded. Sorry, Madam Conservator. Emma inclined her head, though her frown remained. It's just, I'd assumed the pair of you were friends and you'd want him to come along with you. I apologize for making such a foolish assumption. Liana seemed ready to snap a retort back at Emma, but then glanced at Baz. He raised his eyebrows, and some of the indignation drained from Liana's expression. Only some of it, though. It's a fair point, Liana, Baz said. If the Master Miller... He noticed Emma smile out of the corner of his eye as he used her proper title. As a way to get us to fortune, why can't I go down with you and see what it is? Liana began to bite at the edge of one of her thumbnails, eyes shifting back and forth between Baz and Emma. Could we blindfold him? she finally asked. Don't be ridiculous, Baz said before Emma could even open her mouth. Master Miller, are you going to stop me if I try to go down below? No, Emma said. That's not up to you, Liana said. Madam Conservator, the mill is mine to run until I receive notice from a master restorer to the contrary. Are you a master restorer? Liana's lips narrowed to a line, but she didn't say anything in reply. Very good, Emma said, immediately shifting to a much brighter tone. Right this way. Emma walked off in the direction she'd come. Baz glanced to Liana, but only received a glare in reply. Shrugging, he went after Emma, and a moment later heard Liana follow, grumbling under her breath. Baz followed Emma until she stopped at a gate. She pushed it to one side, and it folded up in a scissor-like motion. Off to one side, Boost and Marst stood beside a large crank set into the wall. Boost glowered at him, but Marst shied away. "'In you go,' Emma said, motioning to the compartment she'd revealed by opening the gate. Liana strode past Baz and entered without comment. Baz began to do the same, but caught another glance of the cowering Marst from the edge of his eye. "'For scribe's sake,' he said, turning and walking up to Marst. "'I'm not a worm, and you must be the biggest person in just about any room you're in.' "'Hey!' Boost said. Don't you! Quiet, grass stain! Baz snapped, shoving an open palm into Boost's face. Boost's mouth froze in mid-word, eyes widening. He ran a hand over his strip of green hair. <laughs> Emma barked a laugh. What I'm trying to say, Baz said, attempting to moderate his tone as he turned back to Marst, is that you ought to try being a bit more, I don't know, confident, I guess. Who cares if you're missing an arm? Life's tough enough without moping about all the time. Just... Baz paused. What was he doing, lecturing like this? From the look of it, Marst was probably older than him, and having lived outside a city, likely more experienced. But now, rather than staring at his shoes, Marst was eyeing Baz expectantly, hanging on his words. Baz let out a long breath. He'd need to give his mouth a talking to, flapping about as much as Deliritus always did. Look, 
just start out pretending you're confident, you might find it tricks you into actually being that way. Marst didn't appear to totally buy that, though there was a certain, what, eagerness in the set of his eyes? Is that how you were able to ride the dragon? Baz's eyebrows rose, and he immediately looked in Liana's direction. Thankfully, she was still sulking over being outranked by Emma, and didn't seem to have heard. Emma, arms folded, standing beside the open gate, was grinning. Great. More people who thought they knew him after hearing one stupid story. I had a bit of help with that, Baz said, turning back to Marst. But you can be certain that you'll never have the chance to ride one if you can't even look it in the eyes. You think I'll actually have a chance to ride a... Baz held up a hand before he could say dragon again. Anything's possible. That sounded like the lamest possible response to Baz, but for whatever reason it seemed to excite Marst. Baz shook his head and turned to go. Boost was blocking his way, arms folded over his chest. He seemed to have recovered from Baz's insult, his stare even harder than it'd been before. Baz met it for several moments, but eventually found he had to look away. Rather than permit his pride to be stung, though, he chuckled. You're braver than me. For the second time in the past sixty seconds, Boost's face went from anger to surprise. Uh, thanks, he said. Baz considered saying he hadn't meant it as a compliment. Bravery was a good way to get yourself killed. But saying stupid things like that to someone who clearly didn't like you was also a good way to, if not get yourself killed, at least find yourself with a suddenly bloody nose. So Baz just nodded to Boost and walked around him toward Liana. Huh, maybe Mother was right, Emma said under her breath. Baz wasn't certain she'd meant him to hear, and Liana was looking at him impatiently now, so he couldn't ask Emma what she meant. Let's get this over with, Liana said as Baz and Emma filed into the compartment. There wasn't much space, and Baz found himself squeezed between the two women. Perhaps most men would find such a position appealing, but Baz had seen the way Liana and Emma looked at each other. He considered asking if he could perhaps just wait up here after all, but then Emma slid the gate closed and made a twirling motion with one hand toward Boost and Marst. They're not coming with us? Baz asked, eager for any distraction from being sandwiched between two women exchanging heat-filled glares. <laughs> Boost laughed. We're just simple millers. We don't go down there. Don't know what happens down below. Don't want to. Baz opened his mouth to ask just what was so secret about this place. But then something that sounded like gears began to grind, and the compartment lurched downward. Ah! Baz shouted before he could stop himself. Scared of lifts? Emma asked, a laugh in her tone. Lifts? Baz asked, glancing around the compartment as if it might cave in on him at any moment. You've never been in one before? Can't say that I have. Baz replied, and I can't say I'm sorry about that either. Don't be ridiculous, Liana cut in. It's just a box attached to a chain that's attached to some gears. What happens if the chain breaks? Baz asked. Emma snorted. Don't be... What was that? Baz interrupted. What was... Oh, I see what you're trying to do, Emma said. Can't fool a worm. No, 
Baz said. His heart had begun to beat even faster than the surprise of the lift had caused it to. Don't you hear that? Bastion, Liana said, matching Emma's skeptical tone. What are you talking about? All I hear is the lift being lowered. Bloody burning books! They couldn't hear them? They were clear as bells to Baz, just like he'd heard them that day in Undertome, out on that peninsula in the unending pit of books. The voices, and they were getting louder. Chapter 19 The lift rattled to a stop, throwing all of them off balance. The voices had begun as a mere whisper, so quiet Baz hadn't been certain they'd been there at all. They'd quickly risen in volume during the descent, though, until reaching the current rumbling in Baz's head, like a waterfall at a great distance. He couldn't make out what any of them were saying, but there was no doubt they were the same voices he'd heard in Undertome. Imbeciles, muttered Emma. No matter how many times I tell them to ease the lift to a rest, they always drop it like a copper bit into a well. She reached out to open the gate, but then apparently noticed that Baz was gripping it with white knuckles. Her face softened. What's gotten into you, Bastion? Liana asked, her tone much less sympathetic than Emma's expression. Baz shook his head and realized how childish he must look, grasping the bars like a security blanket. He released them and stepped back. The voices were still there, but had receded to the background of his mind, hardly more noticeable than a dull ringing in one's ear might be. Nothing, he muttered. I guess I was just startled by the lift, is all. Speakers aren't given access to such wondrous technologies, you know? He'd meant that as a joke to lighten the mood, but both Emma and Liana looked away from him. I'm fine, he quickly said. Obviously, they weren't hearing what he was, and they'd think him crazy if he admitted to hearing voices. Emma cast another sidelong look of concern his way, but then opened the gate and stepped off the lift without comment. Liana followed her, and Baz tentatively stepped out after them, though Liana seemed on the verge of trying to stop him. They exited into an underground tunnel that seemed to have been hewn into solid rock. The only light came from braziers suspended from the passage's ceiling by chains. The orange light glistened off damp stone walls. Perhaps there actually was an underground waterfall nearby, and Baz wasn't going mad. Wishful thinking. While the voices remained indistinct, he was definitely hearing the murmurs of multiple individuals, not falling water. This way, Emma said, leading them into the gloom. The passage branched several times, but Emma navigated as if she could walk it with her eyes closed, never hesitating at an intersection. Liana was muttering under her breath how this was a bad idea and glaring at Baz, as if this were all somehow his fault. He seemed to be taking the blame for a lot of things lately. Opening his mouth was likely to only worsen his plight, though, so he remained silent. The farther they went, the hotter the passage seemed to become, until Baz found himself unbuttoning his cloak and fanning his face with his hat. To his right, Liana had taken her cloak off completely. Beneath, she was wearing a white, sleeveless tunic with a book dragon stitched over one breast. 
Baz found himself staring at her bare shoulders until she turned to him and narrowed her eyes. He continued staring for a moment longer before realizing why she was glaring at him and nearly tripped when he snapped his head away. He was almost certain there'd been a smile threatening to curl the edges of her mouth before he'd stumbled, though. A smile? Why would she be smiling? Every time a girl had caught him looking before, they'd glared missiles at him. A bead of sweat rolled down his face. He told himself it was just from the heat in the passage. The tunnel finally ended at a barred iron gate. Emma produced a key, unlocking the gate and swinging it outward, motioning for Baz and Liana to proceed. Beyond the entryway, the tunnel opened into a cavern that was abuzz with activity. The reason for the temperature in the passage immediately became apparent, as there was an enormous fire burning at the cavern's center. An enormous fire, Baz realized, that seemed to lack fuel. It was just sprouting up from the ground, no wood or coal or anything else feeding it. Gas, Emma said, looking at Baz. Hmm? There's gas trapped in the rocks below us. It comes up through a series of pipes. Then you just hold a torch to them and poof! Baz jumped at Emma's sudden exclamation. It's already bad enough we brought him down here, Miller, Liana said. Don't tell him anything he doesn't need to know. When Baz glared at Liana, pointedly ignoring all the bare skin she was now showing, she grimaced. Sorry, Bastion, but you can't even begin to grasp how much trouble you'd be in if another conservator knew you were seeing this. The way Liana had emphasized this made Baz turn back to the cavern. Iron pipes led away from the blaze at the room's center to various machines, each of which was being worked by multiple men or women. Several seemed to be large grinders of some sort. One man working at a huge crank nearly as long as he was tall, while another fed pieces of black metallic somethings into a pair of spinning rollers studded with what appeared to be diamonds. Others stood on tall, railinged platforms that encircled large vats, similar to the ones they'd passed upon entering the mill. Steam rose from the containers, and workers stirred their contents with long poles. One lifted her pole out as Baz watched, revealing it to be coated with black goop that reminded Baz of the slime that bubbled out of the bogs in the Firelands. The tanks narrowed at their bottoms and had a valve toward the ground, presumably a drain. Pipes leading from those valves led to still more contraptions. These were also best described as vats, though they were smaller and rotated in place like a child's toy top. Bass had nearly forgotten about the voices, but they suddenly increased in volume as he stared at these last implements. He put a hand to his head and looked away from them, relieved to find that doing so immediately brought the muttering back down to an ignorable level. "'What's going on in here?' Baz asked, rubbing at his temples in an effort to dissipate the sudden headache the voices had induced. "'You don't need to know,' Liana said. "'They're making ink,' Emma said at the exact same time. The two women glared at each other, and the temperature seemed to go up another few degrees." Baz interjected before they had the chance to start arguing. Ink? 
I thought that was all made in the factories in the cities. Most of it is, Emma said, but this kind is too dangerous to make near any heavily populated area. Oh? Baz looked from Emma back to the steaming vats of black goo. What sort of ink is it? Emma didn't immediately answer, and when Baz turned back to her, he was surprised to see her looking to Liana, almost as if seeking permission to go on. Liana let out an exasperated sigh. Might as well tell him. He's already doomed if anyone else finds out he came here. It's shadow ink. Baz shuddered involuntarily. He'd only ever spoken one shadow spell, but that had been more than enough to understand Emma's ill ease over the stuff. Shadow was the element of pain and murders. No one knew much about it, other than that it could do truly awful things when written into a spoken book. What do you do? Bottle up darkness itself to make it? Baz said, giving a chuckle. Once again, his effort at a joke completely failed. In a manner of speaking, Emma said, voice entirely serious, there's only one way to make it that anyone's ever discovered. Distillation of a shadow breather's scales. Alive shadow breather's scales. But, Baz said, really disliking where his mind was taking him, that would imply that you have access to live shadow breathers. That's why it can't be made near a city, Emma said. They live in the system of tunnels that starts back there beyond the equipment. Baz took several steps back in the direction they'd come from. Well, remind me to never get too close to those tunnels, all right? He'd heard stories of shadow breathers, creatures that were as much poisonous mist as tangible beast, nearly invisible in the darkness until the moment of attack, at which point it was far too late to save yourself. Uh, that's going to be difficult, Emma said. Bez's stomach dropped into his boots. Uh, why is that? Well, those tunnels are how I was planning to get you to fortune. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Good to be here with all of you again. Today is uh, Sunday, November 13th, 2022, as I record this, which is episode 17 of season 2 of the podcast and episode 44 overall. Um, I will say if I uh, looked a little different in between the narration of chapters 18 and 19 that we just listened to, it's because... Uh, I recorded chapter 18 during the halftime of the Buffalo Bills football game against the Vikings, and then chapter 19 after the game was over, which was kind of a shocking defeat for for my good old Buffalo Bills. So uh, <laughs> I look a bit shell-shocked uh, in uh, those chapter 19 recordings. Uh, that is why, uh, but enough about that. don't want to dwell, uh, dwell on that anymore. I um, hope you enjoyed uh, chapters 18 and 19 there, kind of, uh, kind of transition chapters. I know not, not a ton of action going on there, but we're certainly, uh, certainly setting up for some excitement here. Um, we see how ink is being made, uh, kind of, uh, kind of an interesting process in the, uh, the, the grinding and the vats, and it's made out of the scales of shadow breathers, uh, which, uh, which are dragons, dragons that use shadow instead of 
fire. We'll learn more about them later on uh, in the book. Um, it's interesting. I've mentioned a few times in previous episodes how uh, the uh, the slave revolt in Haiti at the end of the 18th century gave me a lot of inspiration for the for the series and uh, kind of some of the ways that they make shadow ink is uh, similar to how they refined sugarcane in uh, or on the plantations in Haiti. You know, you have to uh, you know kind of grind it up in a mill and then boil it for a long time to you know turn the sugarcane into the the white table sugar that we're all we're all familiar with. So um, you know, I modeled modeled that process that you see in chapter 19 after that. Uh, it's just a little behind the curtain there. Um, so for next week, we're going to read chapters 20 and 21 of Declaimer's Discovery. Uh, now we will finally get to meet Maeve, who is uh, this uh, this uh, woman who Emma has referenced a few times in the previous several chapters here. Uh, she is uh, she's quite the personality. So uh, uh, you can uh, you should look forward to meeting her, and then we'll also finally see what Emma's plan is to get them uh, to fortune, apparently faster than they could if they were riding horses. Um, and then uh, Baz and Liana have a moment. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. But yeah, you have that to look forward to here in the upcoming two chapters. Uh, and then um, I just said a minute ago we'll learn more about uh, Shadow Breathers coming up soon. Well, it might be very soon. So tune in next week to uh, to hear chapters 20 and 21 of Declaimer's Discovery. Uh, and then the following week, which is uh, the Monday after Thanksgiving, we'll be doing a, a nice uh, analysis episode. We'll be munching on some uh, Thanksgiving leftovers and talking about chapters 15 through 21. Uh, all right, just a couple of quick personal announcements here. Uh, I have an ebook box set coming out. Uh, I'm going to release it on Black Friday because authors can do Black Friday sales too, right? <laughs> um, so it's going to be books one through three, or parts one through three, I should say, of the Spoken Books Uprising. That's The Actus Trials, Declaimer's Discovery, and Declaimer's Flight. They will all be together in one ebook for the first time ever. Um, <clears throat> and if you uh, want to get in on the Black Friday sale, you have to uh, be on my email list. I'll be announcing it Black Friday, and it'll be on sale for, for $3.99. You'll be buying directly uh, from me. I have a, a website set up where you can buy directly, and then it's the files are delivered to you through a service called BookFunnel, and you can get them directly onto your Kindle or other e-reader from there. But, uh, you know, that helps support me a little more. I... Uh, Usually Amazon takes 30% of the sale price as their, as their take, which frankly is fine because without Amazon, I wouldn't really have a great way to distribute books to a whole lot of people. Um, but selling direct like this, I get to keep virtually all of the sale price, so you can help me out if you if you buy direct from the Black Friday sale. And you'll also be saving $2 off of the, uh, the standard price of $5.99 for the box set. Um, and if you have read the first three parts already, well... Uh, if you get the box set, uh, that includes uh, two original, never-before-seen essays uh, by me, talking about uh, my influences for the series, uh, including a, an interesting essay, I think, on uh, 
the Haitian Slave Revolt and how I took some ideas from that and worked them into the series. Um, <clears throat> and uh, there's also going to be art in this one. I have commissioned depictions of Baz, Deliritus, and Rocks, um, and those are going to be included in the box set as well. And at least for now, that's going to be the only place that people can see them. So uh, even if you've read parts one through three, uh, you'll get those nice little bonuses if you pick up the box set for three ninety nine, uh, And you'll also be supporting a hardworking independent author uh, over here. Um, and I should say, too, if you would rather just wait and buy it directly through Amazon or Kobo or Google or Barnes & Noble or wherever else you buy ebooks, um, they will be... Uh, it, it will be available on those sites uh, probably the following week for five ninety nine. So totally fine if you want to wait uh, for that as well. <clears throat> but uh, if you want to get on the sale, you got to be on my email list. So ddkane.com slash email dash sign up. I'll leave a link in the show notes uh, as well for that. Um, really my only other news... Uh, my NaNoWriMo update going well. I think I just crossed the halfway mark today. Yes, I'm at 25,470 words out of the 50,000 goal for the month of November. Uh, so that is going well. I've written the minimum number of words every month, which is, what, 1,667? I just aim for 1,700 a day. Uh, I think I'm averaging about 2,000 words a day. So NaNoWriMo is going well. Into the Dragon's Maw going pretty well. There's some days where I feel like I'm pushing just to hit that word count and, you know, maybe not as concerned about quality as I should be, but this is also the first draft, and, you know, sometimes I'm just embracing that the first draft isn't going to be great anyway, so overall I think NaNoWriMo is a big plus. It, you know, gives me the motivation to work on a manuscript every day, especially uh, this past week. Day job has been a little... Uh, a little busier than it than it normally is, so uh, it's nice to have the extra motivation of getting my uh, NaNoWriMo words down to make sure I get my writing done each day. Uh, so you can, uh, you know, keep cheering me on uh, either in the newsletter you'll uh, get updates through there, or you can uh, follow my NaNoWriMo profile at nanowrimo.org/participants/dtkane. Uh, if you're interested in seeing how I'm doing. I've also been uh, posting updates on Twitter about my progress. Um, okay, I think that's just about it. I hope you enjoyed my photos of the week in the newsletter this week. If you're a subscriber, i got a bunch of bird photos from uh, North Ponds Park in Webster, New York, which is my hometown. Also uh, got a nice little autumn shot of you know, the nice trees in multiple colors reflecting in a pond. So check that out over in the newsletter as well. I post my photos of the week every week that uh, that I take myself. I'm a bit of a hobbyist photographer, so just another reason. Uh, each week you get my photos of the week and my quote of the week, uh, which is also usually accompanied by another photo that I have taken. And my quote of the week is also accompanied by a short original essay interpreting it. Uh, and this week's quote... Uh, is from Cassandra Clare, author of Clockwork Angel and uh, other books. Um, that's part of a series. I probably should have had this offhand here. Uh, starting the Infernal Devices series, The Clockwork Angel, which I think is also a prequel to another series. 
Uh, let's see. Goodreads, give me the answer. Uh, the City of Bones, Ashes, and Glass uh, series. I'm not exactly sure what that's called. But but there you go. So Cassandra Clare, Clockwork Angel, book one of the Infernal Devices series. Uh, and this quote was recommended to me by Jan, who is uh, also one of my uh, very generous patrons supporting supporting the work I do here on the show uh, and the newsletter and uh, with my novel writing. So thank you, Jan, for submitting uh, a quote. And the quote is, One must always be careful of books and what is inside them, for words have the power to change us. Um, So, and here's uh, here's my little essay here. Uh, When considering how to address this week's quote, part of me wanted to disagree with it. Do we really need to be careful with books? Is reading and expanding your knowledge ever a bad thing? After some careful reflection, however, I think I agree, provided we understand what is meant by careful. You shouldn't avoid certain books because you disagree with them or they make you uncomfortable. Indeed, those may very well be the books you should read. The trouble arises when one reads a book with a closed mind, either going into it already believing they'll disagree or, conversely, expecting to accept everything it says as absolute truth. The act of reading itself is never bad, but doing so without applying your own critical thinking can be. Everyone should avoid ignorance and pursue all the knowledge they can. But we must also thoughtfully consider the information we consume so that we can sort out fact from fancy. Uh, Again, uh, this week's quote was submitted by Jan. Thank you very much, Jan. Uh, And if you have a quote that you particularly enjoy, email it to me at dtkane at dtkane.com, and I may feature it on a future fantasy quote of the week segment in both the newsletter uh, and the podcast. Um, So there you go. That is this week's episode. We'll be back next week reading chapters 20 and 21 of Declaimer's Discovery. Uh, So until then, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author, or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.